Hi, this is Stephanie Fay, and this is season two. Thanks for joining. In today's episode, we're going to talk about technology, more specifically social media and free platforms such as search engines like Google and YouTube. But before we get into that, I want to just give you a reflection question to think about. And we'll return to this a little bit later in the episode. And that question is, what is your formula for feeling better? What do you do or what do you think in order to make yourself soothed or happier or whatever that improvement of internal state is that you are seeking? And if you could sum it up into an equation, what would that be? So we're going to look at that a little bit later, but what we're also going to touch on is some of the mechanisms that are behind the business model of these free platforms that are occurring on the internet. And I am doing this episode in honor of a very important documentary that has come out on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. In season one, I talked about media and technology and cited Tristan Harris, who is one of the founders of Humane Tech. And he is one of the key people in this documentary. So a key focus of the Social Dilemma documentary has a lot to do with the business model of these platforms. And I think that's really important to go into, so we will touch on that. But I also want to go even deeper than that and talk about a formula that many humans are using that I believe is a source of our unhappiness and many of our behaviors that we tend to engage in that keep us stuck in very repetitive patterns. So I want to go into this idea of being repetitive and predictable. And we'll talk a bit more about that in this episode, as well as how technology and these platforms are playing into that. So something that The Social Dilemma brought up and has been talked about for a while by Tristan Harris and other people who are part of Humane Tech, as one example, of part of this movement of bringing more awareness into the world about what technology and social media and these kinds of things are doing to the human nervous system, things like that, is that we take for granted that we have these platforms that are in, quote, free, such as Google and YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. And while most of us are pretty aware of the fact that these platforms are free because there is a marketing business model involved, that in exchange for having it free, we expose ourselves to the advertisements that are displayed. But what the documentary goes into that I think is really important is how powerfully these tech companies have hacked into mechanisms of human behavior, the human nervous system, the human brain and perception and all these kinds of things, how much has been invested in really understanding that to the point of being able to influence us in ways that I think we are not aware of and that are causing some alarm bells in many different communities. And there are two key words that I think sum up this business model. And those two key words are what this business model relies on, which is addiction and prediction. 
So in order for shareholders to want to invest in these platforms and for companies in general who want to market what they're selling to invest in these platforms, they need to know one thing, which is that their advertisements will appear before the eyes and ears of consumers who will eventually buy their products. The way that they can be more and more reassured of this is if the platform knows exactly who and at what time and in what state a person is in what mood and what vulnerabilities and what insecurities and what fears and anxieties or desires are present within each person at specific times so that the advertisement will have the most likelihood of turning into a click and then a consume of some sort. So in order for these companies to have this reassurance that their advertisements will be displayed at times where there is this likelihood, there is a need for these platforms to predict what people are doing and what mood they're going to be in at different times. One way to create a very powerful predictive model or algorithm is to have as much data as possible. The more data points you have, the more likely you are going to be able to predict what a person is going to do next. We do this as humans also. So for example, if you were trying to decide on a babysitter or a nanny for some children, a babysitter who has very little, let's say zero experience with children, compared with a nanny, caretaker, babysitter who's had over 20 years of experience with many different types of children across different types of populations and communities, age groups, etc. Between those two, who do you think is going to be the most likely to be able to predict different scenarios that might happen in terms of getting kids to bed, getting them to put their shoes on, what kinds of temper tantrums might happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You probably will pick the person with over 20 years of data collection. All those data points help that person be a better predictor of human behavior. It's not a flawless system, but there is something we can intuitively understand about how much data can help us be better at predicting things. And so that is one of the key currencies of the free platform model, to have as much data, as much information on each human being that is online as possible. One way to ensure an ability to predict human behavior is to have that person addicted to something. Because addictions create very repetitive, very reliable patterns of behavior. And so That is a big driving force of what is happening within these platforms. They are being designed as part of their business model to appeal to the shareholders and the companies who are marketing their stuff online. And so the two most important words that are part of this business model are prediction, to be able to predict us. And in order to do that is to have us addicted. And so what these companies are doing is using an understanding of the human nervous system and how the brain works and how these types of addictive mechanisms occur in order to not only make us predictable, but to keep us online as much as possible so that it feeds more data into the system. And so what they need to do is have 
have us neurochemically hooked onto our devices in order for that stream of our behavior, our tiny little micro movements, such as how long we gaze at a picture, how quickly we swipe down or click on something. All of those micro movements continuously feed into this giant stream that is being collected by these companies in order to create this type of mechanism of addiction and prediction. And so there are what many people see as positive things that happen because of this. For example, because these platforms are getting to really understand what triggers us and what our habits are, what our anxieties are, what our moods are, they're able to present us with more relevant, in quote, advertisement. So you won't get an advertisement for sunglasses if that is not necessarily what will pop up based on all of the data and all of the patterns that they're seeing as something that will be relevant to you, but you may get an advertisement for dog food or a car or whatever that is. So there are a lot of people who say, well, I would prefer that. I don't really want to get irrelevant advertisements. I want the stuff that's relevant for me. And so while that might be true, and I will touch more on this a little bit later in a different way, I just want to insert that by having irrelevant advertisement, it would actually help you not be quite as glued to your screen or not as vulnerable because it would be irrelevant to you. So it would be easier for you to ignore advertisement and possibly not go down a rabbit hole of comparing products and wasting hours and hours and hours doing that if that's something you do. So it would actually help us have more impulse control if we had more irrelevant advertising. It would be easier to, in quote, change the channel than if the advertisement is so specifically targeted for us, it is going to be really hard for us to turn away. So while it seems like a good thing, I think there's an argument to be said that it would be nice, actually, if we had more irrelevant advertisement because that would help us turn away. And so the other piece about all of this that I really want to get to in this episode is this idea of repetitive behaviors, because that is a big part of what this prediction and addiction model is about. There is a repetitive behavior that starts to happen. And I believe that humans are not meant to be as repetitive as many of us are. We do need routines. I think consistency and certain things are awesome to have as automated and habitual, especially when they are something that help us have more degrees of freedom later in terms of what we are going to do with our time and our energy. So for example, I have very repetitive routines of what I do in the morning and before I go to bed at night. And I like these to be automated because it consumes less of my decision-making processing power for the rest of the day. If I know I have those two things to count on, those are things I don't need to use up my neural and behavioral resources to make decisions on. So repetitive behaviors can be very adaptive. And that's the other theme I want to bring into this episode is we're not talking about good or or bad. Technology is not good or bad. Repetition is not good or bad, but we can maybe nuance it with adaptive or maladaptive. If something is adaptive, it allows us to grow and evolve and make choices and use as much of our very evolved neural circuitry as possible in order to continuously grow and evolve and have more ability to navigate different challenges in our life and attain our goals. Maladaptive is when we stop having so much 
choice over what we do. When we are in a mode that is so automated that we stop using some of that very evolved neural circuitry for long-term decision-making, self-regulation, intentional uses of our own mind and creativity. So when it's maladaptive, whatever this is we're talking about, I think it prevents us from doing that. So again, repetitive behaviors are not necessarily good or bad, but when they become maladaptive, it means that we repeat our own history over and over. We stay stuck in patterns that we don't actually like. We stay stuck in patterns that keep us falling into what we feel are the same situations over and over again that cause us anxiety or a feeling of being unfulfilled or whatever that is. And I think this type of maladaptive repetition of behavior is not what the human species very specifically is designed for. If you look at other species, so I mentioned this in season one, I love Max Tegmark's book on life 3.0, where he talks about how there are certain species that are not really going to be expanding into new ways of problem solving. So another person who talks about this is Eliezer Yudkowsky, who is a thought leader on artificial intelligence, that certain species, for example, bees are going to continuously make hives and build hives. They're not going to expand how they use what they have into creating a completely different product, if you will. Bees will build hives. Beavers will build dams. Ants will build anthills. But what humans are capable of is something that goes above all of that. And we are capable of adapting and flexing with our environments to figure out how to become more adaptable and more flexible and more sophisticated and more complex. I also talked about that in season one in reference to David Deutsch's book, The Beginning of Infinity, where he talks about us as universal constructors. So nature has led us to be different than many of those species in terms of how much we can evolve and transcend our circumstances and innovate completely new solutions in order to figure out how to adapt to our environment. When we are repetitive, we are not using that type of circuitry. And so that is part of what I feel is one of the issues that is coming up about technology and our use of social media is there is a maladaptive repetitiveness of our behaviors that I think is dangerous because it will be preventing us from using some of that very evolved, sophisticated neural circuitry that we all have within us. It is part and parcel of the human brain and how it works. So anything that keeps us repetitive in a maladaptive, unconscious, automated way, I think is detrimental to us as a species. Now, part of this is that technology didn't do that to us. It didn't make us repetitive or automated. That is something we do naturally because it's part of how we conserve resources. And I went into that in episode two of this season in terms of paradigms and predictive models. There's a certain amount of automation we need in order to become more sophisticated later. And there are plenty of things that have influenced us to be addicted to things that came before technology because addiction to different substances, that was before the internet. Marketing and its use of something that is called inadequacy messaging, which is from Jonas Sachs' book called Story Wars. And Seth Godin talks about this in various books of his. I think Lynchpin and the Icarus Deception are two of them that mention this. 
Marketing as a concept is something that gets us to be convinced to consume something that we don't need. And some of those things that we don't need can be very addictive. So this idea of prediction and addiction and us becoming very predictable and addicted to things, that is something that was going on within us well before the internet and social media. What these free platforms and particularly this business model of advertisement is doing is it's amplifying that effect. So this is something that I think about the internet in general is that it is not the generator of these problems. It's not the generator of us feeling more or less connected or disconnected necessarily. It's in response to something that occurs within us as humans that challenge us anyway. But what technology is doing is it's amplifying these effects at speeds that I think is making it hard for us to actually even notice that it's happening and hard for us to resist to degrees that I think are much higher than they were before technology. And so a big part of what I think is a layer deeper than just talking about our addiction to technology and social media is to talk about something called patterns of instant gratification. I think these patterns of instant gratification are what keep us in a very immature level of our development of neural circuitry and are one of our vulnerabilities that advertisement in general before the internet, but also now with the internet feeds off of. So my nickname for patterns of instant gratification are pigs. (laughs) And they have a few things in common. So a pattern of instant gratification, one feature of it is it's something outside of us. It's something external that is not us that we want to use to make us feel better. And so the other feature of it is it is sparked by some desire to change our internal state. So some dissatisfaction or discomfort with our current physiological state that we want to change. The other feature that patterns of instant gratification have in common is there is some type of grasping of something outside of us. There is generally some type of movement to grab or grasp an object of some sort that we consume in order to achieve the goal that we think it will make us feel better. So if you think of any kind of addiction, there is some type of limb movement, usually with the upper limbs, but I'm sure there are other examples of grabbing or grasping something that we believe have the ingredients to change our internal state. And the biggest theme of all of that is the mindset that something that is not us, something outside of us will make us feel better inside. And this is what I think is what is being fed off of in terms of any type of addiction or maladaptive repetitive behavior. It is the belief that most of us have that we cannot feel better by using our own self, our own mind. We must have something outside of us to do that. So we can also call that conditional self-regulation. So that can also be people that you are constantly looking for a person to validate you, a relationship to validate you, and to make you feel better. And that's a pretty tricky one because if you are looking for admiration to feel better, you are not guaranteed to get that from a human in a live interaction with them. So there is a lot of volatility involved in terms of trying to use other people to do that. And this may also be why people do turn to other things that are a little more predictable to make them feel, in quote, better. 
You don't have to wonder what mood your phone is going to be in or that gambling website or that TV show or that food you love eating. Those are predictable things for you that give you the dose of neurochemicals that can make you feel temporarily better in that moment. But what this does is, as you can see, there is a repetitiveness to this that is not exercising our very sophisticated neural circuitry in order to find nuanced or more sophisticated ways to even actually navigate our environment. Because if we're going for the same type of object over and over and over again, it's creating a loop of very repetitive behavior. And the challenge with this, as I had mentioned before, is that humans are not designed to be so repetitive to the point where our brain is not even entertaining other possibilities of what could make us feel better. And that's what I see as part of this trance that we get into when it comes to addictive behaviors. Whatever these addictive, very predictable behaviors are, whether it's always looking for a substance of some sort, a screen, a social media platform, online shopping, and even relationships when we're using them in a more almost addictive way. There is this trance that I see people go into and that I've experienced for myself of not entertaining any other possibility of what could make me feel better. And that is where I see a degradation of human intelligence because one of the key features of human intelligence is the exploration of new possibilities that there is not usually just one. And the exploration of new possibilities is what increases our degrees of freedom. Because if you believe there is only one way to make yourself feel better, there are not a lot of degrees of freedom in that. It can only be that thing. And one issue I see that comes up with that is that when we believe that one or two or three particular things are the things that are going to make us feel better, and we get into such an addicted mode with that, that we can't explore the possibilities, one of the things I see happen is that anybody or anything that challenges or interferes with whatever that thing is we think is going to make us feel better is now considered an obstacle for us. So if we think the phone is going to make us feel better, and this is not a conscious thought. This is just an automated, this is an automated body movement at this point that is driven by the neurochemical states that you have and the muscle memory and all of that cellular memory that you now have for doing this as a self-soothing mechanism. So if you think the phone is going to make you feel better on that unconscious level and your friend, your partner, a family member, your child wants to have your attention instead of the phone, if you are so neurochemically programmed at this point to use that very automated movement of grabbing the phone in order to get that dose of hormones that you're looking for, that live human being that is around you, which is not predictable, there is not a guarantee of what kind of mood or action or interaction that you're going to have with them, they are now an interference of this guaranteed dose of endorphins and different neurochemicals that you want to get. And this is not just with the phone, this can be with any kind of substances, any kind of behavior where we have now become so addicted to it that our mind-brain-body system is so programmed to predict that that will give us the dose of exactly what we need when we need it, that nothing else is going to even compare with that because everything else is so unpredictable. I don't know if a human is going to behave with me the way I would like for them to behave. I don't know if 
writing in my journal or creating that piece of art or doing something creative, I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know if I'm going to get a response that I want. I don't know how it will go. There's an uncertainty to it. And so we do tend to lean towards these things that are more guaranteed for us. It's energy conserving. But what I would say is that it's not something that feels like it necessarily enhances us because it's not tapping into that very sophisticated, complex circuitry that we all have for navigating all of these other kinds of situations that are unpredictable. And so we almost atrophy these incredible, powerful features of the human mind-brain-body system that other animals don't have to the same degree at all, not even close. And so we're atrophying part of the human species in a sense. We are staying in a very immature developmental stage if we continue to be very repetitive and not entertain multiple possibilities of what we can do to feel better, to regulate, to change our internal state, to change our internal physiology in that sense. And so the bottom line of that, I think, is that what we are seeing that is making many of us, I think, start to feel uncomfortable is seeing ourselves and people in our lives not using what we know we have the capacity to access. And so I'm sure many of you have examples of you are hanging out with a friend, hanging out with someone you like, hanging out with family members, whatever it is, and having that feeling of instead of them paying attention to you and being really engaged with you, they are looking at their phone. And that is one of the most common ones for us right now. And that is part of what this documentary, The Social Dilemma, will explain explain if you do watch it of why we are seeing so much of this degradation of human relationships happening because of these social media platforms. But I do just want to add that layer that we have the capacity to degrade our relationships through this very kind of history repetition type of stuff and this predictable behavior, automated behavior stuff that we were doing before the internet even happened. There are plenty of very dysfunctional (laughs) relationships and families that were all occurring well before the internet. So it is something that humans tend to do that block us from really evolving, which is this idea that something outside of us is going to make us feel better. And we put all our weight on that thing. And so that can definitely happen in our relationships too, where we want someone else's human behavior to be the precise behavior that will align with what I want in that moment, which is kind of a recipe for disaster. (laughs) So where I want to go with this, and it's one of the main themes in my work, is this idea of self-regulation and what is called self-directed neuroplasticity, and particularly what I call unconditional self-regulation. So conditional self-regulation is where we need a condition to be the way it is in order for us to feel better. And we need to have that. That's Sometimes we just need to go out in nature and play with a pet. Those are all things that are external to us that make us feel better. Those are beautiful things. And these are all tools at our disposal. But I think one of the most powerful mechanisms of the human species is our ability to unconditionally self-regulate, to actually use our own mind in order to shift our internal physiological state to one that we desire. And when we have the power to do that, what happens is it changes what we need everything outside of us to do for us. When we can access our desired internal physiological state by using our own mind and not needing conditions around us to be perfect for that, 
other than having space. We do need to have intentional space and time that we have to figure out a way to create in order to get to that desired state because it'll be really hard for you to do this in the middle of a mall or in the middle of a family dinner, for example. But I do think you can wire yourself to actually get to that state within all of those kinds of chaotic conditions. But we need to set time aside every single day in an intentional way in order to create this internal physiological state that we desire using our own mind. If we can do that, if we can achieve that, we create a new set point in terms of the neurochemicals that we experience on a visceral sensory level. And when we can achieve a desired physiological state to give us that feel-good feeling that we are all looking for, and we can do that with our own mind, it now affects our perception of everything outside of us. And there are two important features about that. One is that there are not really any guarantees about anything external and how it will serve us. It may be there, it may not. Internet might shut down one day, as one example. And the other feature is that there isn't such a desperate or urgent grasping of those things to fill that void that we think it will fill. Instead, the things outside of us now become a bonus to how we are feeling, and they actually benefit from how we are feeling. So I also see this as a civic responsibility if we want the world to improve in the sense that if we can become better at self-regulating in that unconditional way where we find time each day to get to that place of feeling a sense of well-being in some way or another, that will carry forward into our interactions and micro-movements that we bring into our relationships and online. When we are in an agitated, overwhelmed state, it's keeping us in a mode of vigilance and defensiveness and insecurity and self-doubt and all of those things. That affects our micro-movements and all the signals that we send out into our relationships and online, which then have that contagious effect in all the communities and networks we're a part of. So getting to that place where you make the intention to achieve a certain internal physiological state for yourself before you enter the world and interact with people live or online, if you have that intention and you achieve that state, there is a ripple effect of what that will do online. And you may or may not care about doing that or not. That is nothing that I can influence, (laughs) but I just want to put that out there, that that is a service that we can perform for the human species of taking a bit more accountability of what we are doing before we grab our phone and interact with others. So let me give you a practical way to start exercising some of that mind-brain-body circuitry that can help with this. Start by just having an awareness of your internal state and that you want it to be different than it currently is. And I'm actually going to give you a technique for doing that. So you may or may not be able to be that aware of it because everything is so automated for you and you have so much muscle memory to just grab whatever that is or do whatever that is that you may not be able to slow down enough to even have that state of awareness of, oh, okay, I want something to feel different right now. But what you can do, something that's more obvious to start with, is just start by noticing every single time you grasp something with your hand. Notice what that is that you grabbed with your hand and see if you can notice what was the visceral kind of physiological sensation you may have had right before it led to this. And it's not good or bad, it's adaptive or maladaptive. 
So an easy one to start to notice just to create this neural circuitry of awareness of this is to notice every time you grab a cup that has some sort of beverage in it. And actually, let's add food to that if you want. So notice throughout the day, every time you grab something to drink or something to eat, what is, as you have it in your hand before you consume it, what is the physiological sensation that you notice in your body at that moment? So it may be a feeling of thirst. See if you can even pinpoint what that feels like. Is it on your tongue? Is it in your throat? It may be a growling of your stomach and you feel that. But you also might notice that there is an emotion. There is something more emotional about it, like just a feeling of blah or a feeling of low energy or lethargy or whatever that is. So just notice that as you have whatever that is you're about to consume in your hand. What that does is it just starts to fire up some of that circuitry of awareness that puts a pause before you do that automated movement. And what this does is this increases your degrees of freedom of what you can consume in that moment. So you can have a small pause of, okay, I notice that I'm thirsty. Do I need to have this soda or could water do it for me right now? is one example. And you don't even have to go that far if you don't want, but just want to put out there that the more you entertain different possibilities as you have whatever that object is in your hand that you just grabbed automatically, if you can entertain multiple possibilities of what else could be in your hand in that moment that could give you something that you might be looking for, you're having more of that exploratory neural circuitry light up that I think is very helpful for humans to have. And if you want to go to a more advanced stage of this is to notice when you have the phone in your hand, Before you click on a site, before you look at it, before you open the text, before you do whatever, before you unlock that screen, what is the current experience you're having that you feel is not giving you what you need? And so you are looking to your phone to do it for you. So those are two ideas of looking at, you know, having the beverage in your hand or food or whatever that is, and then also possibly having your phone in your hand of just looking at what is the breakdown of events that lead up to you trying to have that feeling of instant gratification and what are other possibilities that you could explore to have that. And again, this is not good or bad. Sometimes the phone is going to allow you to do something really creative and fun and reach out to somebody who you really want to connect with. That's a beautiful thing. My main point is, are you doing the exact same thing on the phone every single time? Or can you pause before you touch on the app, you touch on the Instagram, you touch on the Facebook, before you do that very mechanistic, automated, repetitive behavior of what you're going to tap on? Can you entertain another possibility of what you might want to do to have that increased feeling of well-being that you're looking for? And if more of us can do this, I feel that we will become less predictable. And I feel like that helps us not feed this system of programming that is happening with these social media platforms. A bit of a review of this episode is that I wanted to talk about The Social Dilemma, a documentary that came out on Netflix, and that it's really important, I think, for us to watch because it shows us the different mechanisms that are being used by free platforms to keep us hooked on technology. But I also wanted to point out that we have the tendency to become addicted and to become predictable in our behaviors, and that it's not necessarily technology that causes this, but technology is amplifying this within us. And the 
these types of maladaptive, repetitive behaviors cause us to not use our very evolved neural circuitry that allows us to entertain many different possibilities of how to achieve what we want to achieve and to gain a sense of well-being. And the other really important point of all this is that human beings have the mechanism within us to create, to induce a desired internal physiological state. We have that power, but many of us don't use it or are not aware of our ability to do this. And so the more conscious we become of our ability to self-direct our internal physiological state, the more evolved and adaptive we become because we don't have to rely on very specific external things to do this. And it also has a positive impact on how we bring ourselves into the world, into our relationships and into our behaviors online because we've achieved a state that we wanted to achieve. And so we don't have to look to these external things, which are very volatile in order for us to do that. And it also helps us feel less desperate or urgent to grasp something outside of us in order to make us feel better because we realize we have that power to do that. Even if it's just momentarily, we acknowledge that we have that power. And I believe that that is a really important power for us to take back so that the marketing and inadequacy messages and all of the mechanisms that are being used to keep us hooked on our phones don't have that power over us because they can't convince us as persuasively that that thing outside of us is going to make us feel better. So that was a longer episode. I had a lot to say about that. I hope you found it helpful. And I hope you check out that documentary as well as Humane Tech. And I have many other resources. I'm also offering one-on-one consulting as well as group and organizational professional development stuff. So that's all on my website. You can just go to stephaniefay.com and I have my different services listed there. So I would also love if you subscribe and add a review to iTunes. That really helps me in my work. And thanks for joining me for this episode.